would you make our hearts sensitive? Uh, would you allow us to respond to your voice this morning? Uh, we want to meet with you. We're thankful that we get to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We got a cruise. I went long for service. This whole, uh, yeah, it's been, I got stuff to say and really not enough time to say it, you know. Uh, Genesis 3, we're going to jump right back in. Uh, we are in a series um, dissecting a little bit in detail, uh, kind of thematically, um, some major themes that are introduced in Genesis chapter 3. Last year we talked about the serpent, Lucifer, who he is, what he does, his special powers. Uh, and this week we're going to, oh, so last week when I, when I talked about Lucifer, I said, we were answering the question, what is it that he does? And one of the things that he's doing that he does is he tempts, right? He tempts and he lies. And then when we stumble, he accuses. Uh, so this week, we're going to look at temptation. And I'm going to jump into Genesis chapter 3. But then I'm going to kind of look from a, uh, some evidence throughout the rest of Scripture regarding the nature of temptation. Um, if you have not been tempted in your lifetime, this will not be for you. Uh, but you can take good notes, and maybe it'll be helpful for someone that you encounter who does experience temptations. <clears throat> and then next week, we're going to look at what comes after temptation, which is sin. And then, actually, according to James, temptation gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. So death is the grandchild of temptation. And we're going to look at that in the final week. So, but let's jump back into our story. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses here. Uh, to give our context. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said that you should not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, No, you will not die. God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like him, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave uh, to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I'm going to define temptation before we jump in. A temptation is simply an enticing opportunity to feed an appetite in an unloving way an enticing opportunity to feed an appetite in an unloving way. Now, some of you might get hung up on an unloving way and would maybe be more comfortable if I said, temptation is an enticing opportunity to feed an appetite in an immoral way. That's the language we're used to. But the whole testimony of Scripture is that all of morality is summed up in this, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor, right? That is, the, that is the, not only the sum total, but the umbrella under which 
All morality falls. And so a temptation is an enticing opportunity, something that pulls at my appetites but encourages me or presents me an opportunity to act on those appetites or to attempt to satisfy those appetites in a way that is unloving, unloving to God or unloving to others. Whether we perceive it as unloving or not. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to give you five truths regarding temptation and unpack these. The first one I'll probably spend the most time on. Five truths regarding temptation that kind of help guide our thoughts and equip us in the midst of temptation. Number one, if you have a body, you have temptations, period. If you have a physical body, if you possess a physical body, then you experience temptation. Galatians 5.17, the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul says you need to understand that if you, he's speaking to believers, he says, if you have the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of God in you is motivating you to do loving things, to, 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 uh, to act on your appetites in a loving way, godly appetites, and the flesh is at odds because the flesh is self-serving in the way that it satisfies its appetites. These two are against each other. In fact, they're so, they're so at odds with each other that at times you will even find yourself doing things that you don't want to do. If you have a body, you have temptations, even temptations uh, towards things like maybe you're tempted to be angry or maybe you're tempted to seek affirmation. We know now based on uh, uh, science, even in the last couple of decades, that those actually provide physiological benefits to our bodies. If you have a body, you have temptations, which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Why? Because we all have a body. It is one of the most consistent lies that I encounter in my role as a pastor in walking with people through uh, their own sin issues is the lie that my temptation is so unique and special to me that no one could possibly understand it. That is absolutely false. Paul says, not only is your uh, is, is your temptation um, something that someone else has experienced? He says, it's common to man, meaning it is common to the human experience. Everyone experiences temptations. If you have a body and you're attempting to live in loving obedience to God, then you are familiar with the death match that is temptation. Now, I should add the caveat that because of my own maturity, my own great level of wisdom and insight and experience, that at this stage in my life, I no longer experience temptation. 
Paul in Galatians 6, he says, brethren, if, you, if anyone is caught in any trespass, meaning if you find someone who's in the midst of sin, you who are spiritual, that's the mature one, right? The mature person. Restore that one in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says, each one looking to yourself so that what? You won't be caught up in the temptation. Paul's assumption is it doesn't matter your, your degree of maturity. If you still have a body, there is, a, there is still a potential for temptation. Even the mature in the effort of restoring the immature can be susceptible to temptation. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. We have a high priest who is tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are because Jesus had a, a body, a physical body, with all of its appetites. If you have a body, you have temptations. And here's kind of like the critical uh, foundation of that principle is that temptation and temptation alone is not sin, it's not defeat, it's not shameful. If temptation is sin, if temptation is defeat, then Jesus was a sinner, and he was defeated. But we know that he was not. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet did not ever in his life take the following step towards sin. But wouldn't you agree that for many times, the temptation alone uh, produces in you a sense of shame and embarrassment? Is that fair? If you have a body, I hate to break it to you, you have temptations. The good news is, is that when you're given a new one, they will be gone. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Number two, the damaged heart inflames temptation and the darkened mind defends it. What I mean when I say the damaged heart inflames temptation is if you imagine, um, if you imagine a backyard that's been overgrown with grass, but it has not been kept, it has not been fertilized, it has not been watered in it at all, and it is dying. Within that environment, um, it is more likely that a fire is to spread, right, in the right environment where there's an absence of life and vitality. There's a dryness, there's a parchness there that, that, that allows uh, flames to uh, grow, to take over the area. The damaged heart inflames temptation. All I'm saying is that if the heart has, has unresolved issues of brokenness, of hurt, that creates an environment where temptation is given a greater power in your life. Proverbs 4.23, 
Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Another translation says, for from it flow the issues of life. Your life is, uh, is slowly revealing the issues of your heart. And when my heart is not whole before God, my cravings are amplified and my resistance is weakened. And the devil loves to present temptations to those individuals, right? And then what happens, so if I have a, if I have a broken heart and I've I've, I've resolved my own, or I'm trying to resolve my own heart issues by, by acting on an appetite in an unloving way, right? I crave this thing that makes me feel better, and that can look like so many different things for different people, whether it's substance or sensuality. Uh, <clears throat> I, my heart is too weak. Temptation is inflamed because of my own weakness, and then what takes place is that a mind that is not transformed by the truth of the Word of God begins to defend me acting on that temptation. My mind uh, works to normalize it. In fact, my mind will create preemptive arguments that I will use if I'm caught in that temptation, right? The damaged heart inflames temptation, gives it greater strength, and the darkened mind defends it. If there is an area in your life where you repeatedly find yourself succumbing to temptation, I would suggest that there is issues of the heart, distorted thought patterns of your mind that must be addressed. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Pay attention. Number three, Temptation is a fork in the road. Temptation is a beckoning, is an enticement to go in a direction. And if I go in a direction toward one thing, then I'm going away from something else. Fair enough? Temptation is a fork in the road. I have two options and they take me, to very, uh, they take me in very different directions. Luke 8.13, this is Jesus, the parable of the sower, which you've probably heard. He says, the seeds that fell on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they hear the gospel, they hear the good news, they receive the word with joy, and yet they don't develop any firm roots. They don't develop a solid foundation. And he says, and they believe for a while and in a time of temptation, they fall away. Meaning, in a time of temptation, there's a crossroads presented, and in that moment of temptation, they, they, they choose the direction that takes them away from God, right? It's interesting, that parable, in fact, Drew pointed this out a while back in a teaching that he did. We're not given any time frame for that process. We don't know how long after the seed took root. 
We don't know how long after that initial response. We only know that it, that, that it was a life that had not, that, that the gospel had really not penetrated into the deep places of, of thinking and feeling, right? The heart and the mind. And the person then encountered temptation at some future time. And that temptation, they gave into it. And, it's, and, and he says, and it was a fork in the road. Temptation is always a fork in the road. It's always an invitation to walk away from God and His love rather than toward Him. Michael Beard actually emailed me this week when he saw my topic, and he raised the same point. He said, I've always wondered how long Adam and Eve walked past that tree. How many times, how many days, how many weeks, how many years? Until the moment came when they were drawn in. Number four, and this working off the last one, if temptation is a fork in the road, number four, death is the only destination. I did warn you that this series has to get a little bit dark. Death is the only destination. That's where, tem- that's where all temptation is leading. That's the, that's the end goal, the end result, the final destination. This is why it's so critical that Satan deceives and lies. Think about it. Eve has known nothing but the abundance and goodness of God in all of his perfect provisions. She has everything that she needs for her life, and, is, and I'm assuming, although it doesn't say specifically, a stunningly handsome husband who is really, really nice to her all of the time. There's no sin. And in that moment, based on the lie of the enemy, she takes the piece of fruit in her hand and considers it. She weighs it on the balance against all of the goodness of God, and in that moment, To her, it's a tough choice. And we look at that and say, no, that's not a tough choice. That fruit will be gone in 30 seconds, and it kills you. And this is all of God's provision. And yet the stakes are the same in all temptation. All temptation is a fork in the road that leads towards the destination of death. Genesis 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. This is what James unpacks in James 1, verse 14. He says, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then... When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, meaning when sin has its way, it brings forth death. That's where it's going. Anytime that you're encountering temptation and you, you, you look at all the goodness of God and this thing that is an enticement to satisfy an appetite in a particular way, anytime you're in that place and you're looking at those two things and it seems close it seems like a hard choice, just tell yourself, to the degree that it's a hard choice, I am deceived. 
It's really that simple, right? Because this produces death. Everything that God says no to is a pathway to destruction. And everything that he says yes to is a pathway towards all of his goodness. Number five, last one. Temptation is overcome with a greater desire. Look at what's going on here in verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. There's several different layers of appetite. And in that moment, she wanted that fruit more than she wanted God and all of his provisions. If I have a dead lawn, the grass has grown and died, and it's all pale and tan. And then I make it my strategy to ensure that my lawn doesn't burn, to run around and I tamp out every fire as it springs up. Wouldn't you say that it's probably a better strategy to water that lawn and bring it back to life? Isn't it self-evident that if I, as a husband, want to uh, ensure that I am, uh, I am able to overpower and overcome temptations that would cause a wedge in my relationship with my wife, isn't it self-evident that the best strategy to do that would be rather than focusing on those temptations and trying to talk myself out of them, that I would focus on my relationship with my wife and elevate my love and care for her? Temptation is overcome with a greater desire, which means this, in the moment of temptation, what's really going on is that that temptation is holding up a mirror to the condition of my heart. But not just a mirror, there's an invitation there to respond to what the Lord already knows. God, you already know, I want this thing that you said no to. In fact, right in this moment, you already know that I almost wanted more than I want you. Colossians at the end, if, in fact, if you want to do a little study on this dynamic later, read the end of Colossians 2 and the beginning of Colossians 3. Paul says, you can be as hard on yourself as you want to be and you can do it all day long and it will not produce in you a capacity to overcome. Colossians 3.2, so this is what I would suggest, that you set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. He says, set your mind on Christ. If you want to find strength, power, recognizing what's at stake to overcome temptation, temptation is overcome with a greater desire. When our hearts grow in love for God, Our capacity to overcome increases. If your strategy is simply to better manage your tendencies when you're tempted, it will fail. So here's what I suggest. Here's my very quick strategy. Number one, when tempted, tell God the truth about what you want. 
God, I realize in this moment that my heart wants this thing. I confess that to you. Number two, ask God what he wants and believe him when he says this is good. Step three, evaluate what's at stake as you see it and then multiply by a billion. And then lastly, go to Jesus for help. Go to Jesus for victory. Go to Jesus to experience life abundant, without shame, without guilt. Run to him in the midst of temptation. Hebrews 2.18, my last verse. Because he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus says, yeah, I know what that was like. I remember being there. We have a Savior who fully understands and runs to our rescue when we find ourselves in the midst of that battle, the battle going on in our own lives and our own heart. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're wondering, well, where do I start on that? I don't, I don't, I don't have a connection with him. The moment that you say yes to Jesus, that you say, yes, I trust in you, I believe in you, that takes us all the way back to Galatians 5.17. The flesh and the, desire and the spirit are against each other. Because what happens is when we say yes to Jesus, we say, I come to you, I entrust myself to you, and I look to you, I want relationship with you. My sin has separated me from you, and I want life, life eternal. The word says that God gives us the gift of his spirit, which immediately begins to work with our hearts to strengthen our appetite for him, for God. He says, I've given you an ally to not only teach you what is right, but to give you the strength to say yes to it. Today could be the day that you say yes to him. God, we know, and our experience has proven that our hearts are never satisfied until they are fully satisfied in you. And the many enticements that draw our hearts away ultimately betray. So we come before you now in worship with a desire to strengthen our love for you by expressing our love for you as we sing to you. Would you meet with each one of us right here in this place? In Jesus' name, amen.